There are over 700,000 sexual offenders in the United States alone. With all the social media these days, how can we protect ourselves and our children from these despicable predators? Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast, where we discuss criminal cases that involve some factor of abuse. Our goal is to spread awareness of abuse that could be taking place around any of us and encourage everyone to take responsibility and report if they see a child or an adult being abused. When you think of the words statutory rape, what comes to mind? Do you see it as fake rape? Or just as a clever title to stick on true love between a child and an adult? Do you think the child is just as accountable as the adult? Honestly, in the past, I was guilty of feeling this way. I figured that if the underage kid wanted the relationship as much as the adult, then they were just as much to blame for the illegal activity. Now I realize that this was a calloused and ignorant way to see it. Living with Rosie has taught me so much about people in general. I grew up with a very narrow mind, feeling that everyone was in complete control of their lives, and that every bad thing that happened to them was their own fault in some way. Now I realize how wrong I was, how easy it is to fall into a bad situation. Today we will be sharing Rosie's personal story to help encourage anyone who may be suffering from the pain of shame and has no support system. This is your podcast just as much as it is ours. We're all in this together and we are here for you. We are all the voice of the victim. So welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Ryan. And I'm Rosie. And uh, today we're going to be sharing Rosie's personal story. So Rosie, tell us about why you want to share your story today. Well, when I think back on my life... I see much good and some bad. Everyone, no matter their background, has some tragedy in life. Everyone goes through trials that in the end will make them who they are today. And although most of us would change these tragedies and their outcomes, it's really undeniable that usually they make us better, stronger, and more empathetic to those around us. So it's fair to say that we all have a story in us, a good book that's waiting to be written. And if you feel like you haven't been touched by this sadness, and there really isn't much to tell yet, then really you should be thankful. Yeah, I'm really proud of you for having that viewpoint on it, for seeing the silver lining and the the positive things of dealing with something like this. But uh, how did your story of abuse start? Well, victims are usually more vulnerable to abuse if they've gone through tragedy in their past. And this has always made obvious sense to me those who go through extreme pain often grasp at anything that they think will make them happy. So do you want to talk about your past tragedy first before you get into the abuse? Yes. So first it starts off when I was five and a half and I really experienced my first life-changing moment. Um, I had a little brother named Eric who passed away from an unfortunate episode of seizures during his epilepsy. Eric was diagnosed as a baby with his disease and though it It was really scary for my family. We dealt with it head on and we tried to make the best of it. We had a lot of doctor visits, a lot of scares, and a lot of helmets for Eric if he would fall during a seizure. But overall, we were a very happy family. Um, My baby brother was very naughty but very happy. Some of the favorite things that I can remember about him was when he stuck a calculator in the microwave and it caught fire. (laughs) And when he took a nice juicy bite out of my shoulder when we were sharing the bathtub and just watching Teletubbies together in the living room. So how did 
<laughs> Did you bleed when he bit you? I no. I just had those huge teeth marks. Oh. Of someone who would <laughs> actually take it. He was a troublemaker. He was a very troublemaker. He actually even slid. We used to slide down the the bathtub. You know, on the there's kind of like a sloped part of the bathtub. Yeah. The back of it. Where yeah. You, well, we would use it as a slide, and he did that, and he, <laughs> he sliced open his chin on the faucet and had to get, like, about four stitches. Ouch. I never told my mom that that was my idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I know I'm biased, but he was the cutest two-year-old. He had white golden hair. He was very chubby, but he had even chubbier cheeks. He had bright blue eyes that were always looking for mischief, and a really naughty smile, flamed framed with rosy red lips. But on the night that he passed away, I was already tucked into bed and sound asleep. Well, what do you remember about being woken up that night? My parents had called some friends of the family to come and wake me up and to bring me to the hospital. It was really in the middle of the night. Um, Eric had a seizure in his sleep and it caused him to suffocate and my parents, they just didn't notice it in time. But when they did, they called 911 right away, and the ambulance came and brought brought them all to the hospital. So I was asleep during that whole time. But when we did, when I arrived at the hospital and we were all together, I remember lots of crying. I remember being with my mom and my pa, and they kind of brought me into like a kid's area. I so, think it was like a playroom or something. So what did they tell you when they woke you up? Um, They just told me that we had to go... Something happened. They were really vague. Just yeah. said that um, something happened and we had to go. But I was really groggy, so I didn't really think. Okay. I mean, it, I knew it was bad, but we had been up to the hospital a lot, so. Okay. Um, but I remember them bringing, my mom and pa bringing me to the, the kids' toy room and them telling me that Eric had died. But I thought they were joking because I just didn't believe it. But in tears, they told me that they would never joke about something like that. It was a really rough night, but the nurse brought my brother to us, the family, in a yellow blanket that was warmed up so that we could say goodbye to him. And so we all took turns holding Eric and hugging him, giving him kisses. And really he looked like he was just sleeping, but he just had that blue tint to his cheeks. Mm. Um, When it was my turn to see Eric for the last time, I covered his blanket with stickers that the nurse had given me, not really knowing what else to do, but... We just were always thinking that we always called Eric the moon, and this little moon that we never thought would lose its glow was just turning blue. It was just a hard night, obviously. I can't imagine how lost he must have felt at this time. Um, So uh, how did it affect your family's life during uh, dealing with such an unexpected tragedy? The following years had a lot of ups and downs, as you can imagine. My parents went through some real hard times. They fought a lot and they cried a lot. They went to marriage counseling and they just tried the best they could to sew up the massive holes in their hearts. My mom was really broken and she's told me since I've grown that I was the only reason that she could drag herself out of bed because she remembers me coming into her room and telling her that I was hungry. Yeah, can't imagine how difficult it would be to lose a child so suddenly like this. But thankfully there was a bit of a support system to turn to. Yeah, um, I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' house, um, both sets of grandparents I was lucky enough to have at the time, but still do. But um, I would kind of go between the grandparents a lot, 
during my parents' rough patch and them trying to, you know, get things worked out. But at my grandparents' house, I really found peace. Um, one set of grandparents lived on an old rural farm in the middle of nowhere, and I could explore the pastures, and I could climb trees and bring my books with me and read. We'd find old cow bones and take showers under the gutter in a rainstorm. Oh, gross. I loved it. <laughs> my grandpa taught me how to talk to the cows, um, give them water. He also taught me how to, beat, to drive his beat-up orange truck. And then at night, my grandma would bundle me up and we'd go on the deck and she'd point out different stars to me. Wasn't there a time that you got pulled over when you were driving? Yeah, one of the first driving lessons, we got a little gutsy and went on the neighbor's property. <laughs> but <laughs> the officer was pretty nice. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, yeah. This part of my childhood um, is probably the most peaceful part. It's kind of a magical place for me to think of that old farm. Yeah, and this really explains why you have such an adventurous and free spirit now. Um... What about Sam? What do you remember about your youngest brother, Sam, being born? My brother Sam was born in 2001. My parents decided that after thinking they wanted to adopt for a while, instead they wanted to try again and have another baby. Um, this time around, my poor mom, she was put on bed rest for most of her pregnancy. She did just as the doctors ordered, and she tried really hard just to lay on the couch and get up only when she needed to. It, I couldn't imagine how boring that would be <laughs> yeah no kidding i mean i love my share of being a couch potato but even i would feel so stir crazy being confined to a couch with no choice i hate sitting on the couch for more than an hour <laughs> <laughs> so i remember me and my pa we hooked up the mini fridge in the living room for my mom and i tried to turn the tv for her to see it better it just we tried to make it as comfortable as we could but Sam still decided to come out three and a half months early. Just couldn't wait. Yeah, so <laughs> um, three and a half months early is pretty early for a baby. Yeah. My mom nearly died from all the blood loss, um, but mom and Sam both managed to make it through. When he was born, he sounded more like a fresh kitten than a baby because his cries were so soft. <laughs> they sounded just like little meows. And his skin, it was so thin that we weren't supposed to rub his arm. We could only pat it, otherwise his skin would break open. Yeah. He was two and a half pounds when he was born. And he lived his first month or so in an incubator. And to me, it was like watching a new pet fish in a fishbowl. <laughs> that had to be so scary for your family, though. Uh, did Sam have any health problems from being born so early? Well, the doctor said that he was going to make it. But they also said that he was going to be on oxygen for the rest of his life. He wouldn't be able to run. He was going to have health problems and maybe even mental health problems. But I'm happy to say that Sam is now over six feet tall. He's 16 and a half. He has no breathing problems, no health issues. He loves dirt biking, anything with an engine. And he's dumb. That's because he's 16. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have any mental disabilities. And yeah, he's a strong kid, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so around this time, you must have been starting a school. Right. Um, around these events, I was seven years old. Um, so I already was in kindergarten and partial of first grade. But anyways, elementary and middle school were not good. Um, a lot of kids, as many kids are, I was one of the kids that was teased and bullied because I had to wear glasses. 
Um, to make matters worse, I started to develop really young. I was already in like a B slash C cup in fourth grade. Oh, okay. Develop as in? I was developing into a woman <laughs> very young. <laughs> wow. What um, grade you say? Like fourth grade. Wow. That is, is young. I know. It really sucked. It's something um, you can't control. No. I got nicknames like Medusa, Elephant, and MJ, which means monster jugs, which I thought wasn't very mm, funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know everyone gets bullied, and to some degree it's just kids being kids, but it still hurts when I think about it today. Anyways, after all this, being made fun of for so long, once I hit seventh grade, something crazy happened. It was like a magical summer break from sixth grade into seventh grade, and it changed me. I got my eyebrows waxed, I got my braces taken off, my awkward hair length grew out, mom got me a good fitting bra, and all of a sudden, all the teasing stopped, and I was being noticed. And that started the boy phase. I wasn't being made fun of anymore, instead I was being checked out and flirted with. And the change in the attention was polar opposite from what I experienced before, and I, I loved it. I think on our Instagram we should post a before and after <laughs> of you with bangs and braces and then you after. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's up to you. Okay. But I can relate to that, though. I was constantly bullied in school for being a fat, nerdy kid with no friends. And so when I finally started learning about nutrition and exercise around 10th grade, uh, a little late, I know, but the positive attention was such a foreign and new experience, it was almost like a drug to be noticed by girls and not just because I was really fat. Um, so it's hard not to get sucked into that attention and it also makes you really vulnerable if it all hits you at once. Yeah, I can say that I wasn't like addicted to boys or anything. I was just like yeah. really okay with them thinking I was cute. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this leads up, all this backstory, it finally leads up to the very first time I met my abuser, Max. Um, it was summer break after 8th grade. Things were a little confusing still, still kind of growing into my new looks, um, puberty and all that good stuff. But this particular summer day, I was going to Valley Fair with my friends. And for those who don't know what Valley Fair is, it's like a roller coaster theme park with rides and games and a water park. And it was almost an hour away from my house, so it was a really big deal that I got to go. Mm-hmm. So after several outfit changes, $30 in my new purse, <laughs> and probably 10 bracelets, because I was going through the hipster stage <laughs> phase, I had, um, on my arms, I was finally ready to go. You must have already paid for your admission, because admission's <laughs> like 55 bucks. <laughs> I think my parents covered admission, but I had to pay for food and stuff. Yeah, I think 30s maybe parking there now. Yeah, I didn't but, have I didn't drive, so I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> You get one corn dog. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, the group of kids that I was meeting up with was a bit bigger than I thought it was going to be. You know how these things go when friends of friends of friends show up. So I stayed close to two of my girlfriends most of the day, and the day went well as far as I can remember. It's all really a blur except going to the water park. But it was at the water park where I learned about my close friends. Um, we'll call one F. Um, who I who's the innocent one and we'll call one B who's getting mixed up with an older guy um, but F was telling me about B 
who was having a secret romance with an older guy. Um, B was probably only two or three years older than me, but that just made her ten times cooler. And things were apparently rocky for her and this older man that she was seeing. Um, my close friend F was cluing me in on what was going on when he rounded the corner. And this is the first time I saw Max. Max wasn't a super hot guy or anything. He walked funny and he leaned over a little, which later I learned is from scoliosis. He had an okay face, but he had a really big nose. He was nice enough and he was in his 20s, so that was super different, but super cool. No one in their 20s had ever hung out with me and my friends before. I'm at 14 at this point, so I'm trying to act cool and mature. B's parents weren't at Valley Fair, and this is probably why Max thought it would be a good meetup point. I don't remember actually saying hi to him, but once I was wearing my swimsuit, because we were at the water park, I could see him checking me out for sure. I was a little giddy thinking about an older man checking me out. I mean, formally, I was known as Medusa. So Max followed us around the whole water park, and there wasn't any touching or super uncomfortable remarks but I could just see him looking at me a lot. I can personally attest to this because when I met you, you were, I think you were 12, weren't you? Just about to turn 13? Maybe. And I thought you were 18 because your best friend was 18. And I was like, oh, they must be the same age. And when I found out how old you were, I was like, oh crap, stay away. (laughs) But anyway, you did uh, look a lot older than you were. Mm-hmm. Well, the next morning I went on my Facebook to post all about my fun time at Valley Fair, probably to upload a picture, and to see if I was tagged anywhere. And that's when a friend request popped up. I accepted, happy to have one more follower on my Facebook page, because everyone was obsessed with that. <laughs> Instantly, I got a message from him. Um, we talked for a few minutes. It really wasn't anything intense. Just small talk, and that's just how it started at first. It was Facebook chats, innocent, just normal Facebook chats. Mm-hmm. But every day the chat would get a little bit longer until I realized that I had a crush on this guy. He knew my age from day one. I never pretended I was something I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, he asked me right away, and I sheepishly told him I was 14. And Max also knew that I just finished middle school. And he started telling me how much older I looked and how mature I act. Which doesn't matter Yeah. to all you people out there that might think that's okay. Then at one point, he accidentally told me that he liked me. He couldn't help it. I was different. At this point, we're chatting long into the night. I didn't tell my parents anything, but they could already sense a change in me. I didn't have a phone, so Max showed me how to get a messenger app on my iPod Touch. So already the behind your parents' back deceit is starting, and he's encouraging it. And right. It started right right away. I knew from the very get-go that I shouldn't tell my parents. Like, I just had that instinct of this is not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but being a dumb kid, I just kind of went along with it. Yeah. So now I'll tell you guys about my very first kiss from a man who was a good seven or eight years older than me. <laughs> um... Me and my close friend F went to a graduation party together, and because Max and I are now chatting quite a bit, he decided that he was going to go to the party too. Uh, I was very nervous the whole time we were there. 
because I'm pretty sure if I remember right it's called a little bit cloudy now but this was the second time that I had really hung out with him um, I had butterflies I was feeling scared of parents knowing even though I don't think they would and I I can't remember if he whispered to me to meet him at a playground because the whole grad party was at a park with one of those shelters with picnic tables and stuff inside or if he just suggested that we meet on Facebook but I do remember finding my way over to the slide of the playground in the dark because at that time it was probably like nine and that's where I was first kissed um, he told me that we shouldn't go back to the party together that I should go back first and pretend that I was looking for my shoes or think of an excuse so he was already like planning the cover because mm -hmm. he knew it was wrong yeah exactly um, this was my graduation party wasn't it yeah wow yep it sure was um, at the time I was really excited and so I didn't really think anything of his request of you know I lost my shoe I was looking for it but instead I was thinking everything's so secretive and could I have my first boyfriend and I must be so special if this guy likes me yeah um, when you're young like that the thought of being in a relationship when you never have been before is such it's such a exciting thing that mm -hmm. I mean that clouds your judgment and that's part of why this is so wrong is because this person that's so much older and has this power over you is able to manipulate you and manipulate your fresh feelings that you don't know how to control yet mm -hmm. and we talked about the grooming process uh, a few weeks back when we talked about Emily Morris and he was really making you feel like you were special to him and and also trying to do damage control and mm -hmm. and stay out of trouble Right. I feel like I'm the perfect candidate, or was at the time, for this grooming process, because it worked perfectly for him. Yeah. <laughs> um, now I know that this is a commonly used practice for predators. Um, it's a really good way to get young girls more vulnerable and easy to mold. Um, but it was probably a month or so after meeting Max for the first time that he started to ask to come over. My dad worked away from home every day, and my mom also worked a few days a week, and my little brother had school. Uh, so I was going to be homeschooled this year. I was just going to try it out, and this gave me a lot of alone time. This was decided before Max, by the way. Um, I wasn't so sure about letting Max come over because it, it seemed pretty sketchy, but Max kept reassuring me that it was normal and it's just what people do, and pretty much everyone who dates does it. So he came over. The first time we made out, and he mostly felt me up, and I can remember his hands on me. He seemed really eager. Um, Max was very manipulative, and whenever I had my doubts, he always had a way to make me feel better about them. Why this or that was okay. Why I couldn't tell my parents. Um, because they wouldn't understand this. He explained that I couldn't tell anyone because he would go to jail. So he knew that what he was doing was super illegal and that he could go to jail and he was trying to silence you about it. Yes. He started to tell me how much he loved me and how he wanted to show me he loved me and this was all by physical means. 
Um, next, he started to buy me things, like a shirt from Hot Topic he said would look sexy on me, or a Build-A-Bear panda that he made himself, which I look back and I think that's really creepy that a grown man went to Build-A-Bear, but that's just me. Um, well, I still like Build-A-Bear. You have a wife who likes it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> too. And um, I'm not getting it for a 14-year-old. Yeah. So. He also gave me his green striped sweatshirt. And he started telling me about how hard his life was, about his back pain from the scoliosis, and how I was changing his life. I'm the one who's making it better. Well, that's a lot of pressure to put onto a 14-year-old girl. It was a lot of pressure. It was like, his life was so terrible before, and now that he had me, I was the only source of his happiness. Yeah, and so if you did ever feel like, oh man, I gotta get out of this, he would use that, hold it over your head, and, and make you feel guilty mm -hmm. because you were making his life so much better. Right. It. Yeah. And I never did talk to my friend's friend B about it. It just, I don't know, it, he kind of made us turn against each other. It was really strange. But anyways, Sad. it made sense that he would do that. Um, yeah, keep us from talking. this wasn't his first rodeo with right. an underage girl. Um... By this time, I'm staying up until 3 or 4 every morning, chatting on apps or Skyping him with my homeschool-loaned laptop. And at the same time, my mom's trying to give me a routine to, to go by so that homeschool, you know, isn't slipping. So she's waking me up at 7.30 or so to try to get me, you know, still on a schedule. You're running on no sleep. So I'm exhausted almost all the time. And I'm starting to get really angry with my parents. Um, I'm either in my room messaging him, like, um, anxiously messaging him in fear that my parents might walk in any second, or I'm thinking of ways to sneak out of the house, or for him to sneak in. Um, Max was just draining. He knew my mom's schedule, and he was always trying to come over. And every time he came over, he would leave, and every time he left, he would complain about coming over again. So it was this constant cycle, and it was really hard on me because... I would tell him, like, you just came over, isn't that good enough for the week? Yeah, I suppose you were like, maybe I'll just let him come once and then he'll be satisfied and but it won't have to do it again. There was no satisfaction. <laughs> he always was trying to figure out a way. He even tried to come over when my parents were sleeping. Oh my gosh. Um, then coming over to my house wasn't good enough for him. He wanted to pick me up in his car. And he would take me to a parking lot that wasn't too far away from my house and talk me into giving him different sex acts. Um, I did draw the line when he tried to pressure me in, into taking me to his house. Because, to be honest, it was in the St. Paul, Minneapolis area, and I was just scared. Because I didn't know where I would be, and I didn't know how I would come home. It's really smart of you to not want to do that. But this went on for exactly one year and one day from when it started. <laughs> Wow. Um, some nights I would fall asleep while typing in messages, and it even got to the point where I was so tired I'd forget his name. Wow. I mean, you were running off of a few hours of sleep a night, and then you had to do school the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, Max, he really made me feel like a prisoner. I felt trapped. I was confused. He would sometimes go out drinking with his friends and be messaging me late into the night when he came back. And I remember feeling so upset and frustrated. 
because I was 14. I was giving up my sleepovers and hanging out with my friends for him, but he was still going out to bars with his buddies. And then the next day he would apologize and tell me how much he wanted to marry me and then like propose over the internet. Uh, I remember the first time feeling so special because it was like I was secretly engaged to this person. Mm. But then the second, third, and fourth proposals just felt stupid. So he would use marriage proposals as a way to to get out of you being mad at him for for going out. I guess so. Just yeah. Or maybe he just sensed my worry because he started to tell me about all the terrible things that would happen if I didn't want to be with him anymore. How it was going to destroy him and how every other girl in his life had left him helpless. And he would just say like how could you do that to me? He promised me a happy marriage with kids and a house and a happily ever after. He even said that we could have a house by a waterfall. (laughs) How would he get that? (laughs) So the plan made by Max was to pretend that we were going to meet for the first time when I'm 17. And this is still in three years. Wow. Um, And then from there, we would start dating. He told me that he was going to make my parents love him because of how much of a smooth talker he could be. Wow. He pretty much, well, the way he explained it, he had it all figured out. Um, it's, it just shows him using guilt again to get you to stay with him and making absurd promises that, like, an adult would know it it would cost millions to get a house next to a waterfall and he is not making that um yeah so before max i had never been kissed i didn't really know what oral sex was i didn't really you know i wasn't experienced at all sexually um but this is how it went for the next year every week sometimes twice a week sometimes every other week I wasn't ever really sure. We would meet up, and he would tell me what to do, what feels good to him, how to do it. And then he started wanting pictures of me, um, what would be hot for me to wear, what he wants to see, how he wants to see it. I remember uploading photos to my laptop on almost a daily basis, and then stay up chatting until 3 a.m., and then waking up at 7.30 a.m. Remember Max? He pretty much knows exactly which days my mom's working. So... I started, you know, not really knowing when he was going to show up or not. Oh, wow. I mean, he's begging me to come to his house and begging me what he would do if I, what you're telling me what he would do if I wasn't going to be with him anymore. And this was the routine. I can't imagine the stress that would put you under knowing that this is all so wrong, but also not knowing when he's going to show up or what he's going to want from you. Well, sometimes he would just drive past the house, too. Because he just uh, needed to see me. Creepy. Um, or say that he was just down the street if I wanted to meet him Ooh. at night. <clears throat> but I remember probably five months into our so-called relationship, I had turned 15. And by this time, I'm really, really lost. I'm, like, going through extreme highs of feeling like I have a boyfriend. And I'm going through extreme lows of, like, I don't know what to do. Um, my mom, she knew that I was going through something. She just didn't know what. So she was 
<laughs> blasting the Taylor Swift song 15 the day I turned 15 to get me out of bed and I remember listening to the lyrics with huge tears in my eyes just thinking how jealous I was of the other girls happy teenage girls with their high school boyfriends and just thinking it's not fair no. um, but before I go on further I just want to talk about statutory rape and what it means to me um, when I think of statutory rape the first thing that comes to my head is shame. After everything broke down, I felt so embarrassed and ashamed. At first, statutory rape to me meant it was fake rape, but it had a good title to mask what really happened. I felt like everyone hated me for getting Max busted. Some people genuinely had Max's side, and for a while, so did I. I didn't believe I was raped for one second. After all, I never screamed out in pain, and I never told him to actually go away. In fact, wasn't it me who had the cute swimsuit on at Valley Fair? And it was probably my fault for not telling my mom right away that some guy in his 20s was checking me out. It took a lot of therapy and time for me to see things more clearly. The truth is, in most cases, statutory rape is all about manipulation and deceit. Max found a way to be in the complete center of my life. Every day was circled around him. He was a constant thought in my head, and he managed to control me and my doubts. There were times that he would be kissing and fondling me, and in my head I would be thinking, when is this part of my life going to be over? I was at the point where I was losing friends. I just didn't have time for them anymore, and I didn't trust my parents. I didn't want to be close to them anymore because I didn't want to, you know, tell them. I just felt like a different person. I also started feeling physically gross and dirty all the time. Like something was wrong with me, almost like I had like a mark on my forehead or something. Um, the excitement of having this secret boyfriend was quickly fading away, and what was left was this strong feeling of wrong. Mm -hmm. In the end, I just felt like a blow-up sex doll. I didn't have any thoughts for myself, it was just what Max was injecting into my head. Uh, Max did what he wanted to me. And I was trapped, because if I told, he would go to jail. And if he went to jail, he would blame me. And if he wouldn't blame me, then it was my fault. Um, there were multiple times that I wish, after everything happened, I wished that I could have just been brutally raped instead, because it would have been easier to handle. Yeah. Uh, that, I don't know what to say about this, but it just... It's... He's basically victim blaming and and he I mean he manipulated you to feel that way like it was your fault and that you were just as responsible as he was and and making you feel bad that if you said anything he would go to jail and and you even feared that if he did get in trouble he would blame you for it and mm -hmm. then you would be in trouble too. Yeah, it was um mind control that now I I see, but at the time, it was like a complete fog. I just, I didn't see how, I didn't see how he could have manipulated me, but now looking back, I, I can't, I just pity my, the child that was inside of me. You know, like, yeah. it's just a really different thing to look at it from a healthy perspective than well, to look at it in the perspective that I was in. Yeah, and I mean, if you felt so terrible as to wish you would have just been brutally raped instead, I mean, obviously that's not a better option, but mm -hmm. 
but at the time you felt so like just your mind was so clouded with with guilt and bad feelings that you weren't thinking clearly and this just sounded like an easier way out well i might not have the date right but it's the day that always pops in my head when i think about it but july 15th 2010 is what i believe to be the day that my mom found max on top of me it was quote unquote our one year anniversary the day before and max told me that he was planning something really special that he was going to take really good care of me to be honest I really hoped that he meant he was going to bring me a present. <laughs> Sounds about right. But when he came over that morning, he looked the same as ever with no gift bag in tow. We barely started to do anything when he was on top of me on the steps of my room. And I say steps because I had an attic room, which was awesome. Yeah, that was a way. cool bedroom. Uh, but he didn't even bring you flowers? No. What a jerk. Um... Nobody had condoms in his car, so oh I guess that was it. What happened was my mom was on the way to her job when her boss called and said that they actually didn't need her that day, so she got to go home early. The minute she opened the door, she knew something was off. She ran to my bedroom, and she saw us there on the stairs. Now, I can't imagine being a mom, feeling that shock when there's a full-grown man on top of your child. Um, Max ran. I mean, he was gone in an instant. My mom was right behind him, screaming and throwing his shoes out the door. And um, my parents had seen Max around a few times. Um, he was at the grad party, and then he was at a few other get-togethers, because, like I said before, friends of friends of friends. And they sensed that he was dangerous, and they even asked me about him by name a few times. And at one point, just because... My dad felt really uneasy about this guy. He told Max, like, to stay away from me. Um, because Max was known to have a bad reputation. A bad reputation with young underage girls. Mm -hmm. um, so now Max has gone out of my house, and I'm freaking out. My anxiety is completely through the roof, and I'm just, I'm just a zombie, feeling completely broken and destroyed. So I run to the kitchen, and I grab a chef's knife from the wooden block, and I'm standing there ready to kill myself. Um, I don't remember m much about that part. I just remember running and grabbing a knife and then my mom running to me and um, kind of like bear hugging me, pulling it out of my hands. We're both crying and I'm screaming and mom immediately called my dad and they both called the police. My dad came home from work right away and we all sat out on the deck can't remember much about this afternoon but I was in fetal position and anything my parents have had said to me just was going right over my head I wasn't hearing them um, from this point on I was in constant desire to hurt myself and um, not eat so I mentioned earlier how it can be like a drug but I mean, this is like withdrawal, like when you take someone that's heavily addicted to a drug and yes. take it away from them, all of a sudden it's like, seize up. And at this point, weren't you still kind of missing him? Yes. Um, my mom actually describes um, 
me being away from Max, just like a drug addict getting off of drugs. Okay. Like, word for word. Um, I was very much, quote-unquote, con- in love with Max, but really confused about it. I didn't yeah. know what I was going to do. And he was making you feel terrible about yourself, but you still felt like you were in love with him. Right. Which is, like we were talking about earlier, another reason why statutory rape is so wrong is because... Um, in on one side of it, the person is just excited to have someone else to be in love, and but on the other side, it it does it does make you feel terrible. And I mean this this drug addiction reaction to it, mm-hmm. it's really scary. Um. So when my mom was you know changing loads in the laundry room or whatever, when it must have been like a day or two after. And my dad was at work. Um, Mom's no longer leaving me alone at the house. I managed to sneak my iPod Touch out of my mom's room in the dresser and message Max. The message I received after repeatedly saying how sorry I was was instructions on what to say to the police. I was to say that that was the first time we'd ever been together and all we did was kiss. Um, I was so angry that after everything that had happened, he wasn't worried about me. He was worried about my mouth and what I was going to leak. So at that point, although I was still really confused, something just clicked inside of me. Something small just shifted, and I knew that even though it hurt like hell, that this was over. I couldn't do this anymore. The police got a search warrant, took Max's laptop, and needless to say, they found pretty uh, plenty of kitty porn on it. That night, I remember sleeping in my mom's bedroom on her bed and just word vomiting bit by bit everything that happened. So, it, one thing I want to reiterate is that this wasn't a one-time thing for him. It wasn't like he was just so head over heels for you that he couldn't help himself. It was something that he was really into and sick with. I mean, he had mm-hmm. kitty porn on his laptop, and there were other people, too, that we're not going to talk about, but mm-hmm. you weren't the only victim. Right. Um, so I just told her pretty much, well, I told her what I could think of. Um, I remember just screaming in the shower. My mom had to sit in the bathroom with me because suddenly I, I was fearful. I was afraid. Um, my parents were really worried about my mental state. I would hit my head against things. They had to lock, or not lock up, but they had to hide all the knives out of the house. I could barely bring myself to eat anything. And I would just like sit and stare at the walls for like an hour. I was just out of it. Um, all I could think about was how this was my fault. Max hates me. I left him like all the other girls in his life, and I utterly and completely hated myself. Even after he was like, he didn't say, I miss you so much, he's told you what to say to the police. From what I remember, yes. (sighs) So my mom and my aunt made the decision to fly me to Florida. I can't remember the timeline, but it must have been soon after, to get me some help. Um, My aunt knew a really great therapist who she knew was going to help me, and... Um, this she was the best therapist, and she explained so much, and helped me understand so many different things. 
she pretty much took the tangled ball that I had, just like resting in my hands of lies, confusion, Max, and my self-hatred, and she just sorted everything out and organized it so I could see it clearly. Wow. I wasn't cured after a week of intense therapy, but I was really starting to see things for what they were. I was even able to eat a little bit after that. Um, my therapist taught me that grown men aren't supposed to touch girls in that way. And no matter how mature and special I am, they should know better. She showed me what real, true love should be like, and that everything isn't about physical sex. If it, Max... Oh, go ahead. Is we're, uh, I guess I was just wondering, or just wanted to reiterate the fact that the relationship was mostly physical. And yes. It was about him getting his gratification. Correct. And not about taking care of you emotionally or anything like that. No. Um, my therapist told me that if Max was really interested in me, which he shouldn't have been in the first place, he would have waited until I was older just to express interest. She so, told me, huh? Sorry, I, I'm sorry to keep interrupting no, okay. you, but that's, I mean, when I go back to when I first met you, at first, yeah, I was like, oh, she's cute. But then I heard what your age was, and I was like, nope. <laughs> and, and, and look where I am today. I'm with you because I did it the right way. And it's just, I'm sorry that you had to go through this. It's okay. Um, my therapist told me that men like Max are sick, and they, they need help to get better. I'm so thankful to my family for giving me the help that I so desperately needed. When we came home from therapy, my therapy, or came home from Florida, my therapy continued with over-the-phone sessions for about a year or so, and still, to this day, I call her from time to time to uncloud my head and just get a refresher session if I'm feeling down. So thank you. Are you going to say her name? Kathleen Krogel. Yeah. Thank you, Kathleen. (laughs) (laughs) I even made a, a song on guitar for her. Oh yeah, that was cute. So... Needless to say, it took me a long time for me to see myself as a victim. I still struggle with the guilt because so many other people have gotten brutally raped, and here I am with my statutory story. But I don't think that's right, and I'm hoping that sharing this story with others with similar experiences will give them the nerve to speak up. I've never told my story like this before, and I've never felt that it deserved, it was, it deserved to be told that people would judge me and complain about how unworthy I am of calling myself a victim and a survivor. But I think it's time to let it out because it's been building up inside of me for eight years and I just want people to know I'm strong and I didn't let my abuser win. For people who took Max's side, I want to know why. Why I didn't deserve your care and attention and what I did. I was 14 at the time and now I'm 23, which is around the age Max was. Hmm? And uh, if you do support Max, there's this blog called The Fifth Nail that Joseph Edward Duncan started for people that think pedophiles aren't criminals. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Um, I'm 23, which is around the age Max was, and I would never even think to look at a 14-year-old in a sexual way. Um, I have my fair share of issues from this experience, I have an extremely hard time trusting people and seeing good in others. I get anxious in big groups and I don't like much attention. Some days are bad days and I get into a dark low. I have low 
self-confidence and lower self-esteem. But I am in a happy, loving marriage with my best friend, and we live close to the river, which I adore, and we're able to travel often, which is my favorite thing. My husband has been my friend since I was 12 years old, and he's always had my back and let me vent. It wasn't until we were married that I really explained to him what happened, but through thick and thin, we've been there for each other, and I'm so thankful that I know what true love is. I can thank Max for showing me the perfect example of what I don't want in a relationship. Ryan and I built this podcast together to help other victims find and share their voice. For those who don't have a support system and feel shame, we welcome you to come to us for encouragement. All victims have the right to tell their story, and that's ultimately what this podcast was made for. I want to reiterate the fact that this is your podcast, The Listener, just as much as it is ours. Um, If you want to share your story with us or you just need someone to talk to, you can get in touch with us at vovpodcast at gmail.com. And also, uh, we just started a new Facebook group called the Voice of the Victim Support System. Um, It's a place for victims, survivors, and just empathetic supporters to share their stories kindness and love and no hate or judgment will be tolerated so if there are people causing trouble they'll be banned from the group and it's going to be a safe place so um you find us on facebook there and you can also find us on twitter and instagram and send us a dm if you just need to talk or if you want to share your story on our show we would love to give you this platform as your podcast to share your voice. We are all the voice of the victim. Um, Max is now a registered sex offender. He did get some jail time. How much I cannot remember if it was two to four months. I just can't remember. He was ordered to um, pay for my therapy and also a new mattress for me. He also had to do classes for sex offenders. Um, He was restricted around children Um, had to be supervised for a while. He also had to respect the restraining order that was in place for my safety. He was also on parole. Um, Jeez, I can't remember how long it was, 10 or so years, because I got a call from his parole officer last summer. I cannot remember all the charges that um, he was charged with. I was going to ask my mom about that, but I just didn't have time to get all the answers. As you can see, a lot of my memory is clouded from my experiences. I have not talked to Max since the day my mom found us on the stairs. Sometimes I am tempted to get in contact with him just so that I can get his side of the story or ask him one out of the thousand questions I think of every now and then. The last time I got a good look at him, he was in court, and all I could see was the hatred in his eyes as a court official read off the letters my family and I wrote for all to hear. This story is for all victims, rape or statutory rape. You don't need blood to be bleeding, and you don't need to bleed to be hurt. Well, I really want to thank you for sharing your story on here, because I'm sure a lot of other people that hear this will be really grateful too. So I want to thank you, and um, I'm just really proud of you for being strong enough to finally put this all down in paper and get it out of you. Thank get, you. I think it in the long run will be really healthy for you and mm-hmm. I mean kind of like therapy was and I want to thank Kathleen for <laughs> for helping you sort 
sort out that big ball of twine that was just clouding your mind and your heart and helping you get past this and because you're a really good wife now and you've you're a really productive and hard-working person and I really appreciate you and and that we're able to do this thing together thank you because I wouldn't wouldn't have started this podcast if it wasn't for you mm-hmm. not for your story and I think we make a good team together mm-hmm. so um you don't have to answer this if you don't want to but where do you sit now with Max like have you forgiven him or have you just decided to move on or I kind of go between different things different days I I pity Max because I don't I don't understand how you could be attracted to a child so I think that he's sick mm-hmm. um I've come to peace with it and I've moved on and I don't really let my mind go there too often um I don't know if forgiven is the right well sometimes I feel like I forgive him but sometimes I get really angry yeah I think overall in some ways I've forgiven him just for myself to make myself um move on and kind of close that chapter in my life but other days no (laughs) I think it just kind of depends on how I'm feeling my life is going and if his decisions have impacted me that day but um I think that it is really healing to write things down on paper and just for other people to to know where your perspective was and know your side and so for people out there who have also gone through um life traumas like that I encourage you to actually write it down, and we can read it for you, but to hear your story, it might empower you more than you think. Yeah. I mean, it takes an incredible amount of vulnerability for for you to share your story on here. And and it took eight years to yeah. actually... I've never, ever told my story like that before. And do any of your close friends really know all this? No. So, I mean, this is like an exclusive story that that you're sharing for the first time that your family and friends have never heard before i think it's easier to tell strangers because if they do judge you you don't really care (laughs) yeah well and it's easier to find the people that can actually relate to you because if you're just talking to the people that are close to you Mm -hmm. half of them are going to judge you and another half of the people that don't judge you aren't going to understand and it's just it's easier if they want to know your story they can come listen to it without because if you tell them in person they can interrupt you and they can be like oh it wasn't that bad but right but i i just want to say this isn't a smear campaign or a bashing podcast against max we're not we're not trying to drag his name through the mud we're just sharing rosie's personal story because it is her story she has the rights to it because she was the victim in this case and and so no disrespect to Max or anyone in his family or people that support him but um, Rosie has the right to share her voice and to be able to help other people that might be going through the same thing right now or have gone through the same thing mm-hmm. to help other people realize there's hope 
of moving on because now Rosie's productive and she's a hardworking wife and she's, I mean, anything a human in this world could amount to. So, <laughs> and also I I don't I don't want to um, say rape or statutory rape is worse or better than the other. I just wanted people to know that statutory rape is also rape. Yeah. That it's also um, hurtful and it can really mess with your mind and it will, I mean, it affects you in your life. Um, yeah, and it's, it's like, for, it's kind of like the difference between second degree murder and first degree murder. Second degree is out of passion, something that just happened and then instantly you regret it first degree is premeditated and someone plans it out and they know what's wrong and they just they plan it out and do it and that's what statutory is because there's this huge grooming process where someone is is planning it out and they know what they're doing is wrong he was saying don't tell the police or mm -hmm. you know if if we get caught I'll be arrested he knew it was wrong so right. it's it's a first degree offense and so it's not a crime of passion. It's a premeditated and mm -hmm. and uh, what's that word I always use? Sinister. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's pretty much all I got. If uh, Max listens to this podcast, I would be more than welcome to let him have a spotlight to share his side. <laughs> yeah, if he wants an interview on the show, <laughs> I'd be very intrigued to hear what he has to say. Yeah, I mean, it would be difficult, but... Well, we could just change the title to Voice of a Pedophile for a week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All in good fun. Yeah, he won't hear it. I don't think he listens <laughs> to this kind of podcast. <laughs> Not either. Okay, well, thank you again for listening and taking the time to hear Rosie's story. Uh, hopefully you found some value in it. And um, if you like our show please subscribe to us and give us a rating and a review uh, to let us know what you think and uh, we don't like hate so please take it easy on Rosie if uh, you are feeling like you just want to bash this whole episode just don't <laughs> just hold it inside and complain to your friends about it but don't tell us <laughs> because she got really vulnerable and uh yeah, I just really appreciate you sharing this story. Thank you. And so, uh, we've already talked about our Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, so I guess we'll just end it there. All right. All right. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. <laughs>